0: G'day. Welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast. I'm Graham Curry, your host from Perth, Australia. I lost 60 kilos or 132 pounds living an intermittent fasting lifestyle and I successfully maintained that weight loss now coming up 2 years. I wanted to bring this series of podcasts to you to give you an insight into what it's like to living an intermittent fasting lifestyle. I'm also the author of the book The Fasting Highway, which is a story of my journey overcoming chronic addiction to fast food and sugar, and taking that walk from morbid obesity to normality. So sit back here with us on the Fasting Highway in the next few weeks and listen to some inspiring guests and some experts in the intermittent fasting community. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the show. G'day and welcome to the Fasting Highway podcast. And this is episode 38. And just before I get to today's guest, I just wanted to pass on a sincere vote of thanks to all those that have been buying my book, The Fasting Highway, about my own journey. Much appreciated. And thank you for leaving the great reviews on Amazon and also for the dozens of messages I've been receiving personally from all over the world. And I'm really pleased that my book has resonated with some people and helped them on their journey. And also to all the great messages around the various Facebook groups, Uh, thank you so much. It's really, really appreciated. So let's get to today's guest, and that's Marty Kendall. And Marty is from Brisbane here in Australia. And Marty Kendall is an engineer who seeks to optimize nutrition using a data-driven approach. His interest in nutrition began 18 years ago in an effort to help his wife, Monica, gain better control of her type 1 diabetes. But since then, he has worked to develop a systemized approach to nutrition tailored for a wide range of goals. Marty has been sharing his learnings at his website, optimizingnutrition.com, and has developed Nutrient Optimizer and Data-Driven Fasting to guide people on their journey of nutritional optimization. So please take a look at Marty's website and also his Facebook group, Data-Driven Fasting, to get a better insight. But welcome, Marty. Oh, g'day, Marty, and welcome to the Fasting Highway, and thank you for joining me today. G'day, Graham.
1: Great to talk to another, Auss- another Aussie with a great accent.
0: Yeah, thanks, mate. And so, uh, you guys are back in the slammer and lockdown over there, I believe.
1: Yeah, yeah, Monday work from home. Uh, yeah, another little outburst of coronavirus in, in Brisbane. So, interesting times.
0: It is, mate. So, Marty, what we might do is, mate, we'll just start off just with a bit of backstory from you and also how you actually got interested in nutrition and fasting itself.
1: Yeah, um, I suppose the interest came about when uh, I married my wife who has type 1 diabetes. Um, I suppose we didn't really understand what that meant, but... um, when we started to think about having children, when uh, okay, I think we need to get the blood sugars under control and start investigating that. And I suppose the last eighteen years has been quite a a journey of um, having a a personal lab rat who I like a lot to uh, to to learn a lot from and see how everything affects her blood sugars and insulin. And then I got into you know, fasting through Jason Fung and tried a lot of that uh, back in the day. And and then I suppose through just trying to write down and share what I'm learning on optimizing nutrition. You just continue to, to learn more and share more and, and try to solve problems. I'm an engineer by day, so that's sort of how my brain works to try and um, quantify and analyze and try to systematize and optimize and all those sort of things. And um, yeah, so that's how I came into this.
0: Yeah, and did you have much of a battle yourself with weight and that, mate? Your, yeah,
1: yeah, back in the day I was always the fat kid, never quite worked out why I was um, a bit bigger than I wanted to be. And, uh, yeah, I suppose for both of us, um, my wife and I, especially over the last five years, have you know, turned her health around. She's thriving and a uh, whole lot more energy, and that's really lovely to see. And um, I'm just at a point where I'm really comfortable with, with my weight and um understand where you know why those foods are really yummy and uh that can be good and bad because you go yeah the peanut butter looks really great but i understand exactly why my lizard brain wants that and uh yeah so and the kids are doing great which is a really good thing to to see we've got two thriving teenagers who are growing and um we like them a lot and think they're doing pretty well so it's cool
0: Oh, I think that's great, mate. So your mm. catalyst really was trying to help your wife with her, um, yeah. her diabetes and so forth, and and to get started with it, that's yeah. fantastic. Felt so how do you very think
1: this rabbit hole?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I suppose you used your analytical mind from your engineering background yeah. to delve into it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Try and pro- solve all the problems that and correct all the issues that I was having when I tried to implement what I heard from people.
0: Yeah. So. With your engineering, mate, what, what type of engineering do you do?
1: I'm, I'm a civil engineer. So by day, I review uh, plans and designs for bridge projects and, and road projects and get to do some planning for, for cycling to try and get people healthy, which is cool. So, yeah. so
0: nice, That's fantastic. So you can apply that a bit to your sort of research on what you do with your data-driven fasting, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. It's been really cool. That's fantastic. So how do you think this journey overall has affected yourself and your family, Marty? What sort of things have been going on there?
1: Yeah, yeah, um, just a, a change in quality of life. Monty's, uh insulin daily dose has gone from like 50 to 60 to 25 to 30 units per day um, just by stabilising it and then both of us losing a lot of weight at the same time and just feeling a whole lot more healthy Um yeah, it's just uh, something like like you've found with fasting is that once you learn something, you just want to share it and get it out there and 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 help people. Um, and you had I have so many conversations on Facebook over the years of little little uh, 140 characters or whatever you have to fit it into, and then started blogging and then um, trying to I suppose rather than just saying oh I don't think that's quite right, let me tell you what I think it should be. Actually creating systems and 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 programs that help people actually guide them through it rather than just critiquing other people's approaches
0: yeah i think that's great mate so when we talk about fasting mate and i know you've had quite a bit of experience in that and researching and so forth one of the things i'd like to know from you is is where do you think people go wrong with fasting let's start with that
1: yeah um we did a little survey in the data-driven fasting group recently, and one of the, the biggest challenges that people find, I think, is that um, when they go for a long time without eating, they then choose particular foods when they're really, really hungry and then just put the weight back on. So they may go days without eating, but that that they continue to yo-yo their weight and not make the long-term Progression toward towards optimal health and and body composition. So, not everybody needs to to look like a bodybuilder, uh, and that's not necessarily the healthiest end goal. But to have a a better body composition, lower body fat, is just so integrally related to diabetes and everything that uh, all the metabolic diseases that that flow off that which is pretty much everything we're, we're facing in our western world so it's a, a fairly important thing to to try and manage so yeah we, we, I know when I fasted for days at a time you get to the point where you know the peanut butter and the cream and everything's looking very very attractive and when you've believed that those foods don't raise insulin much so you can have as much as you want then you you, you sort of end up refeeding and, and just about binging on on these really uh energy dense low satiety nutrient poor foods that lead to just putting back the energy you you, you put up that effort into to not have for that time so yeah um i went there must be a better a different solution to this and i suppose um tried to find a balance between food quality, which is my, my big thing really with optimising nutrition, trying to design foods and food choices and meal choices to help people um, optimise a, 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 and precisely choose what they should be eating for their condition and and their goals um, and, and marry that with, you know, not eating all the time and trying to find that that balance between feasting and fasting to actually ensure you achieve long-term goals
0: yeah so what the fasting schedule mate a lot of people have difficulty when they start out how do you sort of suggest people find the right schedule for them yeah um it's just so many
1: options with you know five to extended fasting ultimate day fasting fast five um yeah i suppose that can be overwhelming so coming from a, a diabetes blood sugar headspace um what just seemed to make sense to me um there was actually some really good uh studies from university of otago in new zealand looking at hunger training and um and they used the blood sugar to to train people to understand when they were really hungry and to validate their hunger and just you know coming from the, the diabetes background that made a whole lot of sense so we've sort of refined that to just say well your blood sugar is an amazing gauge to understand if you uh, need to refuel now, or whether that you know you're eating for a whole lot of other reasons. So uh, the blood sugar can help you dial in when when you really need to eat, or when you can wait a little bit longer because if your fuel tank is still full. Um, yeah. So if you exercise a lot, or you're you're doing a lot of walking, then you may need to refuel more, but if you're less active one day or you're in lockdown per se, then uh, you know, your day-to-day activity levels are going to massively affect how much you need to eat each day and sticking to a rigid pattern that where you're overriding your hunger signals is uh, not necessarily optimal. So by looking at your glucose and going, okay, I, I do need to refuel now, then you can... Actually, fine tune that and find a, a rhythm and a pattern that works for you over the long term. And then, ideally, in the long term, you get to a point where you go, Yeah, I understand what true hunger is and, and where I need to eat because my body needs fuel and nutrients. Versus when, yeah, you know, I just, you know, there were some leftovers in the fridge that looked really yummy and I kept dreaming of those. And I'm going to go raid right the fridge and you're not really hungry enough to eat, especially if you want to lose fat over the long term.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, mate. I think fasting has become quite complicated and confusing yeah. for beginners. I know I get quite a few messages from people and they say, look, I don't know what's going on because I read one thing and I see another. And,
1: <laughs> and I suppose throwing blood sugars into it is another potentially confusing aspect, but it can be helpful. But um, yeah, de- definitely confusing. I think sometimes when you... Uh, apply a, a rigid restriction to your body it can confuse the body at the same time so if you're just randomly going and gonna fast two days this week and five days next week and skip a day uh, and, and you're overriding your hunger signals your body can uh, they talk about metabolic jet lag when you're um, you're eating late on the weekend and and that's not necessarily optimal because your body really does like a A regular routine and and when you I think I talk about your your lizard brain a lot I think your your subconscious has this amazing drive to ensure you get what you need over the long term regardless of how much our conscious brain wants to control and restrict and and you know not eat the bad things that the lizard brain always finds a way to get the nutrients and the energy you need so if you keep on confusing it it'll think it's in a bit of a uh, a famine or there's you know, not enough food around because you made it not eat for some random amount of days last week. So it'll find a way to, just in case there is a famine, you'll uh, you know, maybe stock up a bit more. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think it can be confusing intellectually and to your physiology, and it's a, it's a nice thing to just give that lizard brain reassurance that it's going to get what it needs when it actually needs it.
0: Yeah, I think so, mate. And I think also the message for you comers should be that to when you start off to keep it simple until mm. you can get your head around it and then maybe move into these other things and, mm. and, and you know, make sure you do your research and all that sort of thing. But so, Marty, how can people actually optimize their fasting in and feasting routine to basically ensure they are getting the results they want for the long term?
1: Yeah, Um I suppose focusing on the food you do eat when you when you eat is really important to me. You need to ensure that you're you're getting quality food when you eat and if you're gravitating to those you know foods you know that are less optimal than you eat when you're eating normally, then um you may be overdoing it and pushing your body too hard so if you're compromising food quality when you do eat, then it's just sort of a signal that maybe you're, you're pushing it a little bit too hard. So you need to find that, that balance to the point that you're fasting long enough to, to get all the benefits, which are amazing, but uh, to, to find that balance of not pushing it too long to the point that you go into that binge mode, I suppose you could call it, at that point. Um, yeah, and just, as I said, for, for a lot of people have found that blood sugars and CGMs are blowing up these days the new uh, exciting thing um, i'm not sure whether that's necessary but so uh, you're just tracking your blood sugars as a, as a hunger signal when you're actually needing to refuel your blood sugars are low and then you can you actually need to refuel at that point
0: yeah so marty tell us why it's important to actually track something yeah sure that you're making that progress
1: yeah yeah um Definitely. I think it's important as an engineer, I'm, I'm a bit of a um, data fiend and I love data, but at the same time I understand after tracking a lot of things for a lot of time and trying to be a biohacker, too much data can be really confusing and um, I suppose the weight on the scale can go up and down for various reasons, so that can be confusing and calories you know, can be you know, a total mind blow for a lot of people and when you outsource that hunger satiety signal to a A smartphone app which has got a ton of inaccuracies in it. Then a lot of people fail with that, and even go, you know, there's studies where a lot of people um, actually have eating disorders, and they say that a lot, 73% of the people who had eating disorders said that the, you know, the tracking had contributed to that eating disorder. So I think outsourcing your satiety signals to to something else is uh, is potentially dangerous, but it seems that um, looking at your blood sugars, you can you can quickly correlate it back with what you just ate before to understand. Yeah, okay, that, that donut left my blood sugar elevated for a very long time, or the, the 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 rice my blood sugar went up and back down, and I can I can eat again now. Or the bulletproof coffee left my blood sugar elevated the next day you can sort of quickly make a correlation and it seems that we're much more at peace with that so um i think to go back to your original question over the long term you definitely want to make sure you're making progress towards your goal i think the goal is metabolic health diabetes reversal body composition weight loss fat loss whatever that is you need to make sure whatever you're doing is actually leading to that over the long term and just you know um, a lot of people talk about the benefits of autophagy, but I don't think we really understand much about autophagy in humans. It's really um, the long but we do know that over the long term that when you achieve an optimal body mass index, body fat, blood sugars, that all really does correlate with improved health. So I think whatever you're doing needs to lead towards that long-term goal as you've wonderfully achieved a, a healthy maintenance over the long term um, for the rest of your life, ideally.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting, mate. So really using glucose to train hunger as well is a great mm-hmm. tool.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, it just, you can calibrate whether you're actually hungry and uh, it's a really powerful way of going, yeah, I need to refill my fuel tanks at this point
0: so let's talk about hunger just touching on that uh-huh. marty there's a couple of types of hunger isn't there there's that head mental hunger where it's oh my god i could eat a horse and chase a jockey <laughs> and, then, and then there's that sort of hunger where you really need to listen to your body a bit
1: yeah yeah you can you can get those gut rumblings or you feel lightheaded or you're uh you know a bit bit grumpy or you're thinking about food a lot and so a lot of the times they're actual legitimate physical signs that your body needs needs to be refilled at that point um, for, for optimal performance. But, yeah, you need to find that balance when, you know, you, you see an ad for the, the chips or the donuts or somebody walks past you with something that smells really yummy, then that may not be legitimate hunger that you need to eat now. So a lot of people get really dysregulated hunger signals in this modern environment where foods are, are designed to be palatable and, and sell a whole ton of them, and uh, you know, food is equated with comfort and you know, grandma's cooking and your mum's cooking and love and all these sorts of things. A lot of time we we're craving that extra dopamine hit, so we we reach for the food that gives us this amazing dopamine hit. But yeah, again, they're, they're often the foods that are designed to give you a massive dopamine hit that don't occur in nature. So um, it's a dangerous world out there in terms of the food choices that most of us have got to, to, to go to, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, it is, mate, and it's on every street corner, isn't it? Yeah. It's, um, it it's so, mate- so normalised to
1: just eat from Seven Eleven 11 on takeout. And, yeah, all those foods are designed to make you eat a whole lot more of them.
0: Yeah, I heard a great quote uh, with a great mate of mine, John Jerry uh, Saunders, and lives in Ohio. And he said that in the 70s, everybody looked like they needed a cheeseburger, and now, <laughs> and now we've got the global obesity epidemic. And, and that's really correlated to the amount of food choices I think that we have out there on every street corner, yeah, Marty.
1: Everybody looks like a cheeseburger now. And yeah, it, it's that combination. I've done a lot of analysis looking at the, how our food has changed now, over the hundred, last 100 years. Um, you see sort of carb intake drop. And then rise over the last 50 years but over the last 100 years it's the addition of um, refined fats from vegetable oils once we learn to isolate um, vegetable oils from soybeans and rapeseed and canola and all those sort of large agricultural crops and then all of a sudden we can combine the refined car- carbs and the refined fats together with low protein low nutrients and we just It's just never occurred in nature before. We used to be able to get um, low-fat, high-carb foods in summer and near the equator and and vice versa um, in winter and, and near the poles. But nowhere in history have we been able to access the fat and carb together, and it's like this signal that sends... Um, a signal to our body, our, our lizard brain again, that it's winter's coming and we need to stock up for winter and eat more and appetite just goes rampant and it's really hard to control that. So, yeah, it, finding a, a fasting um, routine that works for you as well as the food choices combined together seems to be a, a really good play to help manage that tendency that you know we're in this unnatural environment that's never occurred before.
0: Yeah, with tracking the glucose and stuff, uh, Marty, does that also help with things like when you know that you reach that point of appetite correction?
1: Ah, interesting question. Um,
0: definitely. Uh,
1: basically, the 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 way data driven fasting works is that you um, you wait until your glucose drops below your personal trigger. So, somebody with raging diabetes might start out with a a trigger of eight while somebody who's fairly lean but uh, still got some fat to lose um, might start at 5.5 or whatever and just keep on dropping that down and and you come to a point where you um, attain more stable blood glucose and lower blood glucose and that trigger continues to drop but what we've found is that you know before long people can you know they go yeah i'm hungry i'll test my blood sugar my blood sugar might be 5.5 and it's 5.4 and they go okay i'm I'm getting quite accurate in assessing my true hunger um through like you talked about those physical symptoms of you know what what am i really feeling right now and how hungry do i think i really am and and definitely the you know okay uh, i feel hungry I think about eating, um, but I have to test my blood sugar. Am I really hungry? Um, Okay, I think I am hungry. I'll I'll test my blood sugar. And you get that feedback loop that recalibrates your hunger and all of a sudden the ideal in the long term is that people don't need to continue to to track everything and they can live like normal humans in, in the free world and not have to track their weight and track their blood sugar forever, but it it really does help to calibrate that hunger signal and, and validate it. And um, some really good studies that show that before long, um, as people's blood sugar drops, they can get a better estimation of their hunger. And with our challenges, with people just go, "Wow, I can, I'm getting reacquainted with uh, what true hunger is, and I'm not craving those foods all the time because of, I understand what true hunger is now.
0: Oh, that's great. So, Marty, we're going to talk about the longer fasts for a minute. Yeah. And I know that that's become more prevalent in groups where people seem to think that sometimes if they don't do the longer fasts, they're not going to lose weight, which is totally not true. But mm. So just explain to me, mate, when when is it that you've fasted for too long?
1: Yeah, sort of as I mentioned before, uh, when you get to the point where your food quality is, Decreases. I mean, some people look at amazing power and can fast for a week and then go for the the chicken breast and broccoli or whatever at the end and eat really high quality, nutrient dense foods. Um, but most people don't. And if uh, I suppose it's a good signal if you're reaching for more energy dense foods when you've finished your fast, when you're refeed, then it's probably a signal that you may be pushing yourself off the deep end a little bit too quickly and um, I think a lot of people get confused with autophagy based on um, the studies in, in, in um, C. elegans worms in labs where if you restrict their calories they live longer and um, Walter Longo did the mice studies where 48 hours in, in a mouse will lead to autophagy and a whole lot of improvements but One mouse day is is 40 human days. So 48 hours for a mouse is 80 days. So uh, we don't really know that we're going to get those improvements from fasting for three or four days at a time. Uh, As I said before, it's really that long term um, improved body composition, lowering of your body fat levels that really aligns with improved metabolic health that, that we know. So, yeah, definitely need to find a way to over the long term, achieve that improved body composition and uh, improved metabolic health.
0: Yeah, I guess it's finding that balance, isn't it? The fasting Mm. and feasting cycle, which allows you to get that nutrition you need when you eat. Yeah, and
1: that's incredibly critical um, to appetite. If you're getting nutrients when you eat, um, your appetite's going to settle down and you're going to be able to go for longer again. And if you've got a lot of weight to lose, then potentially you may be able to Go for a very long period of um, of time without not eating, but uh, yeah, I mean the, the protein sparing modified fast is used by bodybuilders, but also in you know medical weight loss clinics where they want people to lose weight quickly without losing all their their lean body mass at the same time, which is so critical for their metabolic health in the long run. Because if you lose your your lean mass, your muscle, you you become weak and frail as you age and that's not a good thing. If you fall over and and break a hip, then um, you you may not leave the medical system ever Um, and and all that lean body mass is critical for just your metabolic health, your metabolic rate, your strength, your vitality. And, if yeah, you need to find that balance between the feasting and fasting with high-quality feasting at that point so you can – achieve the long-term goal.
0: Yeah just explain too Marty why that refeed is so important after those longer fasts.
1: Yeah uh, if you're fasting for for three days a week then you definitely still need adequate protein and nutrients across the average of the week so there's really um, no data that I'm aware of that fasting alleviates that requirement so somehow you have to find that that balance between the feasting and fasting and when you do eat if you are going for longer periods then you're going to need to cram more nutrients not more calories into those feasting periods so yeah, it's all about nutrient density at that point of getting the nutrients you need without as many calories in that in that shorter window
0: yeah, so, mate, lots of people are using the um, CGM, so continuous yeah. blue-closed monitors these days. And Do you think they're necessary? Uh, short answer is no,
1: and um, I spend a lot of time watching my wife's um, CGM data and she's got a closed-loop insulin pump system, which is incredibly fantastic, but as an engineer, it it blows my mind trying to understand it, and it's it's been quite a journey and a fair bit of stress to get it all fine-tuned and trying to understand what what makes it go up and down and controlling it. And I think potentially it's over the top for people who um, it's a lot of expense to start with, and if it's covered by insurance, it's a lot of expense for um, the insurance company. But people get really paranoid by little rises in their blood sugar and i had a coffee or i had you know you know I, i walked and it went down or i you know lifted weights and it went up or i had um this that or the other and it went up a lot and i really need to manage it flatline so a lot of people end up avoiding carbohydrates neither protein completely and you know which may be good sources of nutrients at that point so i think really Blood sugar ranges in the healthy range, up and uh, oscillations in the healthy range, which is potentially um, less than 1.6 millimole or 30 milligrams per deciliter rise after you eat is, is perfectly fine. And what you need to look at is your blood sugar before you eat um, to validate that you're actually hungry and need to eat again. So, um, yeah, so it, it can cause a lot of confusion and then people when they see their blood sugar is is dropping they go yeah i can eat again And, and even though they're not hungry so just having for me i've got a a simple um contour next one glucose meter that i use to validate my hunger and that's all you really need to do is validate the hunger and if you've got the the money and and love being a biohacker and delving into all the data and trying to watch your cgm all day it's it's really cool and really fun and uh more power to you, but I don't think you need that level of expense or complexity just to simply validate your hunger. And most of us do better with with the minimal effective dose of, of data to calibrate our hunger.
0: So to validate that hunger, mate, basically you probably only need a simple blood sugar beater.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's all I use personally, and uh, you only need to do that two or three times a day. You might do it once and go, yeah, I'm still a bit above my trigger. I'll wait a little bit longer. And then an hour later, it's below your personalized trigger and yeah, yeah, I'm good to eat. And then later in the day, you might do it again when you're hungry and go, yeah, I'm good to eat. And So you're only looking at a couple of um, blood sugar tests a day. And then eventually you can say, yeah, I'm going to lock in one meal a day where I know I can eat. You get that regular source of nutrition and then if you – want to choose another discretionary meal you can say yeah i'll test that to decide whether i really need to eat another meal that day because i've been active or or i haven't been active and therefore i I don't need to eat as much that day and if i want to over the long term improve my blood
0: sugars yeah see data to me marty is an interesting thing i mean i've read quite a bit of your stuff and it's um Yeah, it's amazing the research that you put into it and the time that you uh, have dedicated to this. And I know some people are either that way inclined or they're not. And for me, it's about, you know, it's not just going out and getting the CGM, but it's understanding that data. I mean, unless you understand the data, what's the point?
1: And it can be dangerous. It can be counterproductive. And I suppose a few years ago, I started to see a lot of people at the low-carb conferences running around with cgms and saying i'm trying to keep my insulin and blood sugars completely flat line and if i just drink olive oil or bulletproof coffee all day my my insulin insulin will be really low and therefore i'll lose weight and you look at them and go yeah i don't think it's quite working for you mate maybe uh maybe you need a different approach and as i said that trying to manage a flat line blood sugar is often counterproductive and um when you eat normal healthy meals, you'll see some rise in blood sugars and that's fine and people, when they're watching that blood sugar, all they tend to do is try to manage it to be flatline, which doesn't often align with nutrient-dense eating.
0: Yeah. You mentioned there, mate, hunger training. So just for people out there, can you just explain what is hunger training?
1: Yeah. Um, the, the the term came from um, a, a study from a randomized controlled trial from the university of otago in new zealand where they uh they started people at a certain blood sugar level and said you can eat when your blood sugar drops below that level um and you understand whether you're legitimately hungry at that and need to refuel so basically blood sugar is the the highest priority for your body to burn off after alcohol and ketones and then dietary fat and body fat sort of fall behind that so if your blood sugar is high then your body fat and your dietary fat aren't being oxidized as a high as high priority so you need to wait for your blood sugar to drop before you're actually using as much fat from your diet or your body so it's the The glucose is the the ultimate fuel gauge that's instantaneous, which I think is is super cool. But what we did with the data driven fasting approach is said, let's manage, let's monitor your your baseline blood sugars when you feel hungry for three days. So you you say, I feel hungry. I'll test, I'll record that and I'll eat normally for three days. And then you get this, this baseline personalized um, blood sugar hunger trigger. And then after that, we go into a hunger training phase where you say, well, I'm hungry, I'll test my blood sugars. And if it's above it, you delay eating. If it's below that personalized trigger, you're good to eat. But over time, that trigger level drops a little bit just you know, each week slowly and sort of pushes you a little bit further to deplete your onboard fuel storage at a sustainable rate and uh, over time as I said before you get really accustomed to what your blood sugar might be based on your sensations of hunger and then once you've reached your goal weight over the long term you can then go okay, I understand my hunger I no longer need to rely on all this quantification you can get on with living in the free world and then if you uh, find yourself regressing you can go back and, and dial it back in
0: yeah, I know for myself, Marty, um, being in maintenance now for nearly two years, It's I've really learned that hunger sort of signs. And, you know, mm. there are days where I, I know it's just, hey, you know, give yourself an uppercut and get on with it. <laughs> Definitely. It's, um, you know, and then there's days where I haven't quite felt that great. Mm. And, you know, I just think, okay, it's it's time to call it and just eat something because I'm just not feeling right today. And, and that, I've got to that understanding is
1: so critical to understand your true hunger signals because they're so dysregulated in the modern environment.
0: Yeah, it is, mate. So, Marty, you talk quite often about nutrient density and, and satiety. Can you talk about how you would define win- what we call window-worthy foods when you eat yourself?
1: Yeah, I really love that, that term from Jin about window-worthy um, and yeah, it's just a matter of choosing the foods that will nourish your body and give you the nutrients you need in that limited time frame and, and um, limited energy when you're actually trying to lose weight. So over the long term, as I said, you still need the same amount of uh, nutrients. And and so that's vitamins, minerals, essential fatty acids, and amino acids, which is protein. And protein, a lot of the time, aligns quite closely with nutrient density. So. Foods that contain a high percentage of protein tend to be more nutritious, but it's not just a matter of eating egg whites or protein powder all day. And the the non-starchy veggies, meat, seafood, all tend to be incredibly nutrient-dense. So I spent a fair bit of time back in the early days quantifying nutrients per calorie in a way that we could apply and uh, help people to identify the, the, the foods that they need to eat to give them the nutrients they need. So, yeah, um, we've got a whole bunch of food lists and and recipes that most people can use and apply, but then we can dial that in a a whole lot more and say, okay, what are you eating now? And therefore, what foods and meals do you need to to optimise the nutrient density even further? And we've got a masterclass which um, guides people to really dial things in and compete for maximum nutrient density, which is a really good thing to see people getting – excited about just like um, measuring their blood sugars to improve their health. So yeah, it's great to see movements of people growing that are are thrilled with optimizing their health and their nutrient density.
0: Yeah. I love that term window worthy too, Marty. I use it a lot. And for me personally, that my window has to be worthy or it just doesn't fly. And I learned quite a while ago that, you know, to sort of determine what is worthy and what isn't. And it's up to the individual what they eat. And I don't sort of cast Mm. aspersions on anybody, Mm. but I think you've raised a a lot of great points there. So mate, what have you actually learned then about things like reducing insulin levels and from helping your wife that is and and manage her diabetes?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's um, a really good question. Uh, I I, I used to think that, reducing carbohydrates would automatically lower insulin and you'd lose body fat but from understanding type 1 diabetes better you know when, when you look at uncontrolled type 1 diabetes you basically with no insulin you're just leaching all your stored energy into your bloodstream and your blood sugars rise and your ketones rise and your free fatty acids go through the roof and um you will basically waste away in a matter of weeks um, which is a pretty scary condition um, but we can't achieve that if we've got a functioning pancreas just by you know, eating more fat and, and, and less carbohydrates which is what I initially believed that the insulin is something that holds that it basically holds back the damn wall of storage in your body and stops your liver releasing energy into your bloodstream so really rather than um, avoiding carbohydrates and eating more fat, what I sort of eventually came to understand was that it's all about satiety and nutrient density and finding a way that you can eat that is satiating that uh, enables you to not be always consumed with hunger, that you'll go and eat the those energy-dense, nutrient-poor foods. So, yeah, it, it, they tend to be... Um, nutrient-dense, either you know, the, the, the really bad foods that we want to avoid are those you know, combinations of the refined fats and the refined carbs together with low protein. And interestingly, um, either extreme of, of low fat or low carb will tend to be satiating to, to an extent, but it's that combination of fat and carbs mixed together, everything we think is, is bad carbs, the donuts, the cookies, the, the white, milk chocolate they're all the fat and carbs together that will just drive that appetite that we can't stop eating Um, so if we avoid those um, we'll have a higher satiety diet and we won't need to always be trying to manage our hunger and fight against our hunger and then we automatically end up losing weight and the insulin comes down at that point so it's all about finding a way to eat that is sustainable, that you can um, reduce body fat levels to the point that you, you achieve uh, optimal metabolic health over the long term.
0: Yeah, and I think it's understanding too, the term uh, you can eat whatever you want with fasting. That You have to define that a wee bit, don't you?
1: Yeah, I, I probably don't fully agree with that because if you, you just refeed on whatever. I think a lot of people come to fasting thinking, "Oh yeah, if I just manage my eating window, I can then eat whatever I want, and enjoy the donuts and cookies and and McDonald's." But I I don't honestly think it works like that because you always find a way to overeat if you're eating poorly in that window, regardless.
0: Yeah, I I tend to agree with with you on that as well, mate. I I sort of twisted that around a bit <laughs> to you can eat whatever you want, but for me. It's eating whatever I need to make me feel the greatest. Yeah,
1: and that's what you, that's what you really want. You want you want to thrive. Um, you want to live a long, healthy, happy, vital life and get on with living out there, rather than just always being consumed with what you're eating and when you're eating. You know, you want to be free from that over the long term and and loving life. And this fasting habit is just a habit in the way you, you live your everyday life.
0: Yeah, well, I know, Marty, I fed my body all the wrong things for 40 years, and that's the reason I got as obese Mm -hmm. as I did. Mm -hmm. And then when I started feeding it the right things, things reversed. So there's something to be (laughs) said about that. So, Marty, (laughs) let's talk a bit about yourself and your business and also your your data-driven fasting, mate. Let's start with that. Explain exactly why you started it and what is it. I mean, you already talked about what is it, but why did you do
1: it? Yeah, I suppose I just kept having all those discussions with people about you know, how can we manage insulin and, and food and fasting. And I thought, well, the best way to to solve it is to put something out there that this is how I think it works. And uh, here's a, a structured approach to unravel it. And during... um during lockdown back in march i had a lot of time on my hands and took some leave and uh started writing and we ended up with uh yeah a hundred page booklet and uh 99 frequently asked questions from all the people that said what about this and what about this i'm confused about that so it's not it's simple but there's a lot of nuance at the same time and questions that people come up with so we started a, a structure program and a challenge to, to guide people through the process and a, and a Facebook group to support them. And um, at the moment, we're, we just launched an app, which we're just refining with the current challenge group, which people seem to be loving. I created a spreadsheet and uh, everybody's going, yeah, we'll throw the spreadsheet in the bin and use the app because it's so much cooler. So that's great. And it's great to see it being scalable to, to, to help more people at the long term.
0: Yeah, your Facebook group data-driven fasting certainly has some fantastic information, yeah. Marty, and I Thank you. and I really urge people to take a look at it. And Marty's a straight shooter, and he's doing these things for all the right reasons, and he's got a genuine care as well, which is great. So, Marty, also tell us about your website, mate.
1: Yeah, um, I started with optimizingnutrition.com, dot com, which is just me sharing and blogging uh, to 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 share what I was learning as an engineer, looking at the data. Um, it's been going for about five years and we also developed uh, uh, a a nutritional optimization masterclass so for people who want to dial in their their eating uh, and up the nutrient density as i said we guide people through the the macros and the micros, and then you know showing them how to find the foods that will give them the micronutrients that they need more of and that's also really critical and we've been playing with a whole bunch of recipe books and we're up to 220 recipes that were created that are optimized for different goals over 29 different recipe books um if people just want to go well what do i eat when i eat after my I fast then this is uh, a simple go-to because um i talked about Nutrient density and the numbers and the graphs and people just go. Yeah, tell me what to eat. What does it look like? Give me a give me a food list. Give me a give me a recipe book. And so that's what we tried to create, so people could just pick it up. And it just looks like healthy, vibrant, colorful, um, tasty food because it's full of the things that are good for you that give you that your lizard brain that amazing dopamine hit that says mm, that was, that was great. Give me more of that.
0: And can you uh, get these or buy these through your website, Barney? Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: yeah, we've got uh, on, the, on the website the 29 recipe books are available and uh, we're just about to release the updated batch, which is pretty cool. What about your book about keto, mate? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I wrote a book on uh, Big Fat Keto lies, which is basically all the mistakes and things I had to unlearn about keto and low-carb. Obviously, I've got a passion for, for a low-carb, nutrient-dense diet for, for diabetes management, but uh, I went through a lot of – mistakes and found things that I'd been told that I didn't find to be completely true when I looked at the data so um, that was another thing I, I got into and summarized all my learnings from five years and tried to apply it to show people how they could optimize their, their low-carb diet to, uh, to get long-term results. And where's the book available, Marty? Uh It's called com. so I'd love people to check that out. Um, Yeah, just working on promoting that at the moment. Yeah, so thanks so much for mentioning that, nearly forgot. That's okay,
0: mate. And do you have it on Amazon
1: at all? Or... Uh, no, it's just a, a PDF download at the moment, so hopefully a, a publisher will come along and say this is amazing and uh, scale it up and it'll be where all good books are sold, but at the moment it's just through the website
0: yeah it's a lot easier that process and self publishing mate yeah yeah so Marty, what's your dream mate? What's the big picture here? Can you see wow. the world reversing the obesity epidemic somehow
1: my my dream um that story of the the guy who walked on the beach with the starfish and Somebody said, you know, throwing one back at a time isn't going to help and there's so many starfish out there. And he said, you know, I threw the starfish back in and he said it helped that one. And I suppose not everybody's going to optimise the nutrition and, and uh, dial in the nutrient density and uh, manage their blood sugars through tracking the blood sugars. But th- there's a percentage out there who are really motivated to, to make it happen and want good information, I suppose, through... Seeing the, the massive lack of good information for people like my wife, I got fairly angry and frustrated and motivated to to make a difference and put it out there to have an option that when people go, what can I do that will work? It's like here's the option, here's the optimised option, and here's a, a step-through process to show you how to get there. So um, that's what I've tried to create. Um, done my best to apply my angle not as a doctor not as a nutritionist but as an engineer to optimize nutrition and um, it's just a thrill i love to see it change people's lives and i just love to see it change more people's lives and um to to i suppose to 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 recreate nutrition um i talk about uh, the phoenix rising from from the rubble of uh nutritional dogma to uh to to change the world for the people who want their lives changed and want clear, concise, precise advice.
0: Yeah. And I think the whole thing starting with that love that you had for your wife is amazing <laughs> because thank you. that's pretty much how I started, mate. The love for my wife was my key dra- driver too. And I think that's a great driver to start with. But mm. Marty, just before you go, mate, we're going to wrap it up in a minute, but I'd love to get some Advice off you for somebody out there that's sitting there, they're in a bad way, they're carrying a lot of weight, they're, they're despairing. Where mm. can I start, mate? Um,
1: check out, I suppose to be selfish, um, we've got a, a data-driven fasting manual and a baselining spreadsheet that they can download. So if they go to the fasting.com they can download that for free and read up all about it. Join the Facebook group um data-driven fasting on facebook you can search that and just learn about how they can manage their um hunger and and appetite and blood sugars and we touch on nutrition there a little bit there's a bunch of food lists and, and free recipes and a whole bunch of stuff that you can just get started but i think um start small i think a lot of people have massive goals and want to change everything overnight but if you push it too hard, too fast, too early, you'll fall off and get discouraged. And I've been reading BJ Fogg's Tiny Habits and uh, it's just really critical to make those, to feel good about yourself for making that initial win, those initial changes. And as you you see that, you get a really massive dopamine buzz that that forms the habits, that builds the habits, that reinforces the behaviours, that you go, yeah, I can do this and just keep on moving and moving down the track and before long you're, uh, your Graham Curry and with that amazing before and after photo.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Marty, I can't tell you how great it's been able to be able to talk to you today and share with us all this amazing information. And I really urge people to check it out. But Marty Kendall, thank you for joining me here on the Fasting Highway.
1: Thank you so much, Graham.
0: Cheers, mate. Bye. Oh, thank you so much, Marty. That was so interesting. And I think people will get a lot out of that. So thank you so much for joining us today. And as I suggested at the top of the show, check out Marty's website and also his Facebook group, Data Driven Fasting. There's some really interesting stuff there for those that like to crunch the numbers. So coming up next week on the podcast, we've got another Aussie in Lindy Lee Cornu And Lindy is from Adelaide here in Australia. And Lindy's going to give us an insight into intermittent fasting for the over 60s. And Lindy is a real ray of joy. And she also has a fantastic approach to her intermittent fasting lifestyle. So stay tuned for that one. Uh, also, don't forget, you can get my book, The Fasting Highway, on Amazon and also at my website for those in Australia and New Zealand at www thefastinghighway.com. but go and visit the site and have a look and uh, let me know what you think. Okay guys until next week be well, be safe and remember clean fasting is everlasting.